Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome to the Over the Cap podcast. It is October 21st, 2022, and this is Jason Fitzgerald. You can find me on Twitter at Jason underscore OTC, uh, or you can email me whenever you want, Jason at overthecap.com. Uh, hopefully, I'll get some time to get back to you. I know I'm once again behind on emails. Uh, I have a couple in there. People request um, for even just doing some stuff for OTC or learning more about the cap. I will hopefully be able to get back to you this week. Just been uh, as usual, pretty busy. Um, it's a rarity. It is a Friday night, and actually doing the podcast again for the first time in man quite some time. I don't remember the last time I actually recorded over the uh, over the weekend. Um, so, you know, normally I end up trying to get to bed a little bit earlier to wake up to uh, do some stuff, usually in the morning. But tomorrow I decided to uh, take the day off. I try to switch up my workout routines a little bit, so. I'm doing a little bit less, um, a little bit less that I think than I was doing before, just with some of the stuff. So basically, I, you know, I play basketball still two, three days a week, uh, not very good, and uh, I, I'm trying to get my some of my leg workouts in after basketball. So I've kind of dropped the weights with some of that, but normally I would kind of try to play basketball today and then still go tomorrow and. Uh, do like a relatively heavy or somewhat heavy, I guess, squat workout. And uh, I'm just off that right now. So I've decided to do this tonight. And the kids didn't have anything going on. So I am actually joined by Nelly tonight. Nelly, you have anything? That has not changed. Uh, so Nelly still does not have anything. Um, so our beer of the night, uh, you know, I mentioned it a couple weeks ago that I've gone low carb for a little while here. So we've cut out the carbs. So... Uh, we're doing the slightly mighty locale IPA from Dogfish Head. This is like a four carb beer. Uh, it's okay, you know. It, it's if you're not drinking anything else, um, it, it beats the the Michelob Ultra kind of stuff. It, it's probably a little bit high, higher in carbohydrates, but it, it's better than that. Um, most of the low carb IPAs are actually a couple of them at least. They're pretty decent. You just have to have them on their own. Like they they good if they're pretty cold and you got to have them on their own like if you go from drinking something else um you know like a regular ipa or something and then you switch to this that switch doesn't work like it, it just the the flavors are all off it's not it, it just it, it completely ruins it you know it's a it's a little bit different than if you're drinking like a budweiser you can go grab a bud light and it's not that much different really um this is a lot different if you, you try to have, you know, if you try to have a 60-minute IPA and then you have it with this, this is going to taste terrible. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's not too bad. It's a, it's a better option than some of the other stuff that's out there to uh, try out. But we'll, we'll do a couple more weeks of uh, low-carbing, I think. And then try to kind of keep that stuff at a uh, little bit of a reasonable level versus um, me trying to eat like I'm... 13 like my daughter and uh you know packing on the oreos or something so anyway that that is uh life in the uh, fitzgerald household here so interesting 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 football week um i'm gl kind of glad that uh you get to do this tonight um instead of having recorded two days ago when a lot of stuff had not yet happened um you know we're waiting until after the games the this week i think this this week there's a lot of stuff going on and that's pretty cool. So you've got the, I guess what would be considered the official dismantling of the Carolina Panthers. So they fired 
Matt Rule uh, before, and they had a weird situation during the game where they ended up uh, taking Robbie Anderson and telling him to go back to the locker room, that it was just whatever he was complaining about, um, that it just wasn't working, just get off the field. And you knew as soon as that happened, he was either getting cut by Tuesday or traded. Amazingly, they did get somebody to trade for him. Uh, you don't get much, but at least you get something in return. And then last night, late last night, they make the big trade, which is Christian McCaffrey goes to San Francisco. I was not sure if they would pull the trigger on that trade or not. And the only reason that I I would say that is just because you are looking to put um, people in the seats. And he is a very popular player in Carolina. I think people would look at him as like the main guy on offense. There's nothing there. All right. There's nothing he's going to do to help that team at this point now. Um, there really wasn't anything even before. You know, it's just kind of like a bright spot that you can look to. You know, when we talked the other week about some of the analytics stuff, and in, you know, my mind, not a lot of difference between losing by 21 points or losing by seven points. You know, you, you lose, you lose. And, Sometimes some of the stuff that we do with the running backs, I think, is the same way. You get enamored with these players and you say, well, they're, they're such an important part of the offense. They're they're important in the, the passing game. Uh, they, they take the pressure off our quarterback. They're dynamic. They can make big plays. The majority of the time, all it means is your offense maybe went from being completely non-functional because you just don't have much talent on the team, to having someone you can lean on to look remotely adequate at times. But it doesn't change the fortunes of the team. It, it doesn't do anything to, to make you better. And I, I think that was kind of the story of McCaffrey in uh, Carolina. You know, the, the only times it's really going to make you better is if you do have a situation like you have right now, really with both of the New York teams, uh, they're different different fields for both of them, and I'll talk about the Jets more after. But, you know, the, those New York teams right now are kind of playing low-scoring games. Now, Bar- Barkley's playing at a pretty crazy level with some of the, some of the stuff he's doing. Uh, over on the other side, it's more kind of offensive line attitude-based, I think. But when you play those low-scoring kind of games, you know, New England's doing the same thing right now, you can possibly win with that type of play. It's not really sustainable in today's NFL for long haul, but um, you know you can do that. But in general, the running back stuff, it just doesn't really make a difference. And that, that was the trap that Carolina fell into with Christian McCaffrey. And they're not the only ones. You know, there's so many teams that do it. And it's all the, the same issue. You know, every time, every every person that I ever talk to um, that works in the league, they'll all kind of agree when you say not so much running backs don't matter. You know, I I think running backs do matter to some extent. All right, I think they're more replaceable than other positions. Um, I don't think running in the NFL necessarily matters that much with some exceptions. I think it's more kind of that um, than anything else. But most people all agree that that 
lifespan of the running back as being a dominant player in the league is just very short term. And it's one of those things where really it's very specific a lot of times to one or two seasons. It's different for fantasy football. Fantasy football is a whole different beast. And sometimes that gets players at that position more attention than they probably should get. But I think um, everybody realizes, you know, you look at the history, you look at the performances pre-contract, post-contract, there's no logical reason to sign any of these players. But when push comes to shove and it comes time to do it, everybody says, well, it's not going to happen to my guy. He's different. And that's just a big problem. Now, it's a, it's a problem for the teams. And, you know, every running back contract, almost every single one is a disaster. Um, but, you know, you, you look at these numbers for McCaffrey. Let, let me just pull them up here. So... Christian McCaffrey would have been under contract to the Carolina Panthers in 2020 and 2021 on his rookie contract. All right. In order to sign him to this extension, they paid him $27.17 million extra in additional money over his rookie contract for the 2020-2021 season. And for this year, where he played six games. Over the three-year period, the Panthers spent $38.47 million on Christian McCaffrey. McCaffrey played 16 games, ran for about 1,000 yards, and almost caught 800, uh, 800 passing yards, receiving yards, sorry, over three seasons. You know, so... You you blew. It, it was just it was setting nearly thirty million dollars on fire. You know, it was thirty million dollars of cash, thirty million dollars of cap space. However, you want to look at it, it is a negative for building your team. And this is one of those things that you know I I I try to you know talk about this and say it over and over and over again. But it is like talking to. A brick wall, at least on Twitter. Um, you know, when you when you try to discuss some of these things, it applies to veteran contracts. It applies to free agency. Uh, I'm sorry, free agents, and it applies to the draft. There are times when having a star player, when he's going to cost you a lot, whether it's a lot in salary cap and your budget, the way McCaffrey did in draft, you know, uh, draft capital when you're moving up and down for players, there are times when you have to look at the range of possible outcomes with the resources that you have in hand. All right. And McCaffrey costing you $16 million a year, um, you know, for a couple of games, you know, his, his contract averaged $16 million a year. And all the maneuvering that you you had to do there, and you know they they ended up spending you know over that over these three years. What did I, what did I just say the total was uh, thirty eight for two years and six games. Um, you know, so I mean that that that's a lot of coin that they they had to spend there. There are times when having two and three good players, decent players 
outweighs the benefit of having one expensive player, you know, one one player who maybe is a little bit better, but the salary is exponentially larger than so many other players. And when you look at the range of outcomes that you can have for a team, you have to ask yourself, what makes more sense? $16 million a year on a running back on a position where performance declines, players get hurt. So it's a super risky position and you're spending a lot on it. Or, you know, a different option, which is going into free agency, maybe signing a player. Now, not a lot of availability in free agency. I get that. You know, you're signing like a Leonard Fournette type or something like that for a couple million bucks. And then having money left over to maybe sign a, um, you know, a decent guard, you know, a um, maybe a Michael Gallup type at wide receiver. I, I don't have my list of players in front of me just to, you know, who signed this year. And I'm, I'm not going to bring it up to where you get the actual, you know, if you want to grab a couple of players. But, you know, this is something that all these teams need to ask themselves when they do some of these contracts. You know, I'm just looking at some of these recent contracts that were signed. You know, Quentin Nelson. You know, is it really worth $20 million a year on a guard when there's so many other holes? You know, you you could be $20 million on him or, you know, maybe you could have found an adequate wide receiver. You get a plug and play guard and, you know, maybe your team ends up better off because it's almost like a three for one kind of trade. Yeah, is your guard that you're going to bring in going to be as good as him? Absolutely not. Will the team be better overall? It might be. And when it comes to the running back position, you know, it's almost always a given when you're talking about going into big money that your team is going to be better off going in a different direction. Um, Carolina is going to have next year, um, let me see how much dead money for him. They're at the top in the NFL at 28.5. 18.35 million next year for McCaffrey is what they're going to have to keep on their cap. So, you know, it, it's it's a mess. And you go to the Robbie Anderson one, and it's another cardinal sin that was violated there. When they signed Robbie Anderson to a deal a couple of years ago, um, Robbie Anderson couldn't find a market in free agency. But wide receiver free agency has been bizarre. All right, Rob, everything about Robbie Anderson heading into free agency said, you know, Robbie Anderson should probably make something like 13, 14, 15 million dollars a year at the time. You know, give or take a little bit, right around there. No action. And we've seen that with other wide receivers. So this year, when I say, eh, you know, probably not a lot of action, Christian Kirk goes for 18 million a year. Sometimes you just you can't gather when that market is going to change. You know, there, there's a lot of different factors that go into it. Sometimes it's hard to project when that market correction is going to occur. So for Anderson, Anderson's options then, once the market kind of bottomed out, it's to take a one-year prove-it contract and go back into free agency next year. And that one-year prove-it contract at the time... I guess would be something along the lines of maybe eight million dollars, maybe at the most ten. Um, I, I think is what that would have been. The Panthers took a different approach. Uh, the Panthers offered him a little bit of a longer term deal, and for that longer term deal, that they, they would pay up to ten million a season, so they would get two years. But 
they'd front load him the money. So he'd get $12 million in the first year. So it was almost like a, uh, like a little, it, it, you know, it, it was kind of like a meeting in the middle, right? You, you do what should have been a one-year deal, probably at eight, and he could get to free agency. Or you do this, where the Panthers maybe realize a little bit of a benefit if he actually proves it for the year. And, you know, if he flopped, he would have gotten 12 instead of eight or 10 on that one-year prove-it contract. But if he does pretty well, you know, the Panthers get two years on him, and then you talk extension. So he played well that first year. He had the, the best year of his career um, in, in his first year in Carolina. So Carolina pays him 12 for that year. Instead of reaping the reward the next year, they do the cardinal sin. You go in on a veteran and you extend him for longer. It, it It's just a bad idea in general. Um, and e- even after just a season, I, I my opinion is it's just a bad idea in general because the players don't last long enough. So instead of him making eight, which was the year that they would have benefited a little bit, they bumped his salary to 12.5 and they guaranteed him um, another like eight million on top of that. So he had 20.5 million guaranteed. This year, they ended up paying him 11.765 million in uh, a bonus because they needed salary cap relief. Uh, he earned, at least as far as I know, he earned a $200,000 workout bonus. So they ended up paying him $12.31 million this year to go away. So he's going to cost on their cap this year $10.26 million. Next year, he's going to cost $9.7 million. His original contract would have ended in 2021. He gave you nothing. Not only was 2021 not a good year, this year was just a mess. And he was only on the team for six games. And you paid all that extra money to get a couple of late draft picks a couple of years from now. Because you botched it by going in and doing that. And I think this gets to the heart of something. that I I know I've talked about this before. It, It is something with a changing league. And it, it is a change that it, it. I think it's occurred because the rookie contracts were taken out, and I think you had some of these teams get into this thought process of, well, you know what? We didn't pay them big money when they were rookies, so it's not as big of a deal if we need to pay them bigger money after the fact. And the other part of the equation is you look at it and I think you say, we have more certainty with our salary cap year over year because we know even if our even if our season sucks, even if we have like a really bad year, um, we're going to be able to afford these players that are coming in on rookie contracts because it's not like the old system where if we had the first pick, we would be paying nowadays probably 20 or $25 million a year for a player who might turn out to be terrible with, you know, $100 million guaranteed. We don't have to worry about that anymore. So what's happened is that the teams, really, they've gotten very soft when, it, when it's come to dealing with contract headaches. Um, we see it time and time again.
what used to basically be fights over contracts with all kinds of players, you know, who were looking for extensions, looking for new deals. You know, you you would just have guys say, screw it, you're gone. You know, Gruden kind of took that approach with Khalil Mack, though they never really even engaged in talks, at least anything meaningful. Um, but, you know, it used to be that. Nowadays, I, I, the agents push it. They, they, they control the flow when it comes to some of these deals. Like, there, there are benefits for the teams, all right? There, there's, I'm not going to say there's not. And it's not like they, they just roll over and give whatever deals, but there's no waiting. There, there's no, for any of these players, there's no thought of, like, the possibility of losing the player. You know, McCaffrey says, well, I want out. You know, or I want a new deal, or else. Oh, well, we don't want to deal with that, or else. Let's just roll over, play dead, and give you a big deal. It was a cheap deal anyway when you were a rookie. And, you know, the same thing with Anderson. Oh, well, you know, you did play really well last year. So we'll just forget what we did for you in the first place, and we'll just give you a new contract with even more money. And, you know, it, it blows up on you. And... I, I just think I, I think you need to start to have some of these teams they get back to having a little bit more of a hardline stance. Maybe, maybe it's the fear of the unknown because free agency sucks. You know, free free agency for as excited as everybody gets about free agency, the quality of the free agent pretty much blows. You may have a couple of players who end up working out and being far better than you expected, but for the most part, free agency sucks. And maybe that's the issue, you know, where, where I mentioned before that you, your alternative is probably someone like Leonard Fournette. That's probably hard to sell to a fan base. You know, even though you'd be adding a lot of other pieces, um, you know, again, through free agency, so they're not going to be the, the top of the line superstars. Um, but, you know, may, maybe that's part of the issue. Teams feel like they overpay in free agency, so they're happy enough to do these deals. But... You know, it's like you look at the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. You know, it, they, they basically just rolled over and played dead. But then basically told them, you know, basically said, you know, why don't you guys kick me a couple times and we'll give you even more. You know, it's, it's not enough that I, I'm laying down on the ground. Why don't you just kick me until uh, until I'm willing to give you over 50 a year? You know, the Rams with Aaron Donald. Aaron Donald's thinking of retiring. Oh, should we send that into the league? Let me talk to him a minute. Because I think if you give him 30, you know, that, that retirement talk, it's going to go out of out of his head. Ugh, all right, we'll just give him 30. What are you doing? That That's not... I, I understand sometimes you try to send a message to, to the team. You're trying to send a message to the locker room. But when it compromises you and it hurts you with anything and everything else that you can do over the next one or two years, that's bad business. And that's avoiding a headache for the sake of avoiding a headache. But then you end up in a worse one. Like, what, what's the worst? What was the worst position? Fighting with Christian McCaffrey over a contract, watching him get hurt, and then having everyone kind of shrug their shoulders and go, 
all right, maybe it's not that big of a deal that we don't have him under contract. Or watching your head coach get fired, maybe watching a general manager get fired, and the, the GM that signed him to that deal, I believe, was fired. You know, having every player on the team traded away, having anyone who's not traded away probably want to be traded away because of how bad the football team has been. Like, that's that, those are the wheels that you set in motion when you do these stupid contracts. So, you know, this applies to so many teams in the league. But, you know, there was a time when you, you, you fought this stuff. There was not a better defensive player in the league than Darrell Revis. Those two sides dug in their heels and fought and fought and fought because one side wanted him to honor a contract the other side said, I'm underpaid. And eventually they, they did come to some kind of agreement, but that's the kind of stuff that used to go on. You know, see guys holding out into the season for whatever reasons, you know, and then coming back when you had to come back. That's what you have to do sometimes to be a successful organization. And the teams aren't doing it right now. You just go up and down the line and you, you see the stuff that gets done with some of these extensions. And even worse, those second extensions. You know, the extension on top of the ori original contract. It's just, it, it's, it's not good business. And it, it's not like the data isn't there. You know, we publish stuff. We, we have people that take stuff from us where they look at these things. And you look at the long-term, you know, returns on these players. You look at the long-term per position, by position, by player, by age. You can do them any way you want. You, you just can't get into these things. And you've got to come, there has to be a time when you kind of get into that. And you kind of maybe take more risks and it might be in the free agency. And I know I said free agency sucks, but again, you're, you're looking to make a team better where maybe you can get a couple of parts in there, you know, and maybe you can trade a McCaffrey away when he is valuable and bring back a big draft haul. Now they did get a pretty good draft haul here. So that's the other side of this. And this is called the, well, we're enamored with a name side of the equation. The San Francisco 49ers will basically pay Christian McCaffrey nothing this year. All right. His salary is uh, $690,000 that goes to San Francisco. Uh, his spot on the roster, he probably has to take somebody's spot. I'm guessing they, they cut somebody. I didn't. I actually didn't notice anyone on the transaction wire. So maybe they had to move somebody to IR. I don't know. but Or maybe they cut someone the other day and I just missed it. That player, you know, that that'd save you probably at least three hundred fifty thousand. Uh, I think actually probably at least four seventy if it's a seven hundred five player. Um, so your net cost for him is nothing. There's no salary for him next year. All right, they, he he has a salary. Okay, his salary next year I think is twelve million. There's nothing guaranteed. There's a one million dollar injury guarantee that's superseded by the CBA protection, which is you know probably two and a half three million. So. They're, they're really on the hook for nothing um, next year. My opinion is they're going to rework his deal, 
and come up with something that's more reasonable. Um, you know, who knows? Maybe they'll, they'll keep that $12 million in there as like a first-year payment, but they'll bring the number down on a three-year. You know, they'll guarantee him the 12, maybe guarantee him a little bit the next year, and they'll do that. But to give up a 2, 3, 4, and 5, and I know everyone's going to get into the devaluing and how much you want to devalue, blah, blah, blah. I don't want to hear about it. A pick is a pick. All right? Depending on where you want to put those picks, the value that they gave up, that San Francisco gave up, is essentially the same as you know, giving up like the second pick in the draft, the fourth pick in the draft, the fifth pick in the draft. So that means by the numbers, in theory, uh, Carolina should get from that return, um, you know, a, at least one player that would be the equivalent of an average pick that was like in the top five. Doesn't mean they're going to get it. Just that when you take that many shots with those selections... That's what the outcome would probably be. Uh, on an average outcome for all those picks, you know, just at a, uh, a you know, a average position, I think it works out to about 15 or 16 million a year in value. So if Christian McCaffrey actually somehow gives San Francisco 16 million in value, you'd say, oh, okay, you know, that that's an, that's an even deal. Um, but in reality, you know, it's a, it's a very good deal for Carolina and it's hard for me to understand what San Francisco is really thinking with this besides the fact that he's a name and we do see teams get enamored with names. Um, but what, what is he going to add to your offense? You know, I, I get it. I'm sure they're looking at this like they lost a fluky game to the bears in the rain they lost a fluky game to the Broncos, and they had a bad game last week against Atlanta. And their offense is what it is. You know, the Kittle doesn't look the same. He looks beat up. They're having issues getting the ball in Samuel's hands. Uh, and they don't have backs right now that are doing much. So... I guess they figure you add him to the offense, maybe that'll that'll do something. I don't know if they think that'll open things up more for the receivers because they're going to pay more attention to him. I wouldn't think so, but maybe that's that's the case. Maybe they just think this will make it easier for Garoppolo because it gives him another target and it gives him another option. Uh, San Francisco tries and tries and tries and tries with their running backs. It's been that way since Shanahan got there. A lot of draft capital. Um, a lot of bad players, a lot of bad contracts. And, you know, you're, you're giving up all of this stuff for a player who is going to be cut by Carolina next year. And nobody was going to trade for McCaffrey at a $12 million salary next year. So he was a player that was going to get cut. He might end up being a half a season rental for you. You're three and three. I, 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 I don't understand how you can give up all those draft picks where they're at. You know, if they were five and one, I, I could at least see it a little bit. You know, where you know you're you're looking at it and you're saying, okay, maybe this distances us in the division. The Rams are kind of struggling, the Cardinals are struggling, the Seahawks are struggling. Reality is you guys are all struggling. 
Now, is the NFC pretty wide open? Yeah, the NFC North sucks. The NFC South is no good. NFC East, teams with good records. The Eagles are probably pretty good. The other teams, maybe a little more questionable. Um, you, you don't have, like, you, you've already given up so many draft picks. You know, you, you're not going to have a, a draft pick next year until the third round. You don't even have a quarterback of merit under contract. I mean, Garoppolo's a free agent. He's probably going to end up quarterbacking in Tampa. Um, you were already hedging your bets against Lance. Now he's coming back off injury. Like, it, I, I just don't get it. Why would you give up all this stuff? And I, I know it's not all immediate. So maybe that's one of the things, and these teams will always look at those later picks as useless. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's not a trade that really makes a lot of sense. It's a, it's a fantasy football trade. I, d- I don't believe this is a real football trade. The the only reasons I think um, for a team really to to bring in McCaffrey is. In my mind, more as a defensive trade, meaning you just want to keep him from going to someone else and maybe having one or two games where he really does make a big impact. Um, you know, where maybe that occurs. But you wouldn't give up all that draft capital to get it. I mean, what, what did the Rams give up last year for Von Miller? Now, Von Miller was a free agent, but, you know, th- this is not much different. Um a two and a three? Let me see. Yeah, they, they traded, excuse me, a two and a three for Von Miller for basically, you know, eight games, something like that. And how how do you trade even more away for a running back? It's just, it's, it's mind-boggling. San Francisco is such a smart organization, but gosh, every now and then they just do stuff that makes me scratch my head. Like, just, I just don't get it. Now, it's like you you salvaged what was a complete disaster for Carolina by being willing to do that trade. I just don't get it. I just, I don't at all. I don't at all. So that's the uh, that's the deal with that stuff there, with that trade. Um, <laughs> put out some stuff on Twitter today. So the Saints lost again. They're 2-5, and five, and now we're in disaster land for New Orleans. New Orleans' salary cap is a mess. Uh, I'm going to try to write about them this weekend or early next week. And I know people are going to say, Salary cap doesn't matter, Jason. They always find a way. They always find a way. Which they do. Every team finds a way. You can always find a way. But this this is what happens when you, quote-unquote, always find a way. And your team gets older and older and older. And it's still the same players. <laughs> and you're not bringing in younger talent to, to really supplement here. You don't have a quarterback. And then you do really stupid stuff like trading away future, you know, first and second round picks to, to make a draft pick this year because 
Well, yeah, we're pretty close. And, you know, we, we, we think that gives us the added impact. They have one of the worst records in the league. And they don't even have a great draft class next year that they can look forward to. They have a horrendous salary cap situation. And now, yeah, I can kick the can on 8,000 contracts. But now I'm not kicking the can on a team that was a 12-win team and then a 9-win team. And I might have these numbers wrong. I think they were a 9-win team last year. And this year might be a four-win team. Like, why would you want to quadruple down on a team that's like a four-win team? That's what the Panthers just did. Look how that worked out. So the Saints are in a really, really rough spot right now for uh, for their future. And they may try to make a couple of trades, but even then, it, it's probably hard because they gain nothing in terms of cap room if they trade these players away. Remember, the Saints have basically paid everybody's salary already uh, for the season, much like Carolina did. And the prorated numbers, the dead money is huge next year for all these guys. So I I almost think they're going to have to get to the point where I I don't think they can trade away a Michael Thomas. I think what you're going to have to do is say, okay, well, this is is the worst contract on our team. And it is. That's probably the worst deal on the team. But you're going to have to go in there, and again, this is where uh, some of the chummy relationships, I guess, have helped or can help uh, with the agent side. I think you're basically going to go, and you're going to have to do this in December, where you're going to go to Thomas and uh, you know one of the other, maybe, maybe Pete, something like that, and you're going to have to go to them and basically say, look, we need to bring your salary down next year to the bare minimum. And you're not actually going to earn that salary. We're going to cut you. We need that salary to be down to a million dollars so we can June 1 you and bring your cap cost way down. So the the way that would work would be... uh, uh, Let me look up Michael Thomas here. I'll just do it for him as an example. So next year, his salary cap figure is 28.26 million 28.27 million um the dead money if he's cut 25.45 million if he's traded 25.45 million if they june won him they can save 16.45 million the problem is if they June want him, they have to carry his cap number at twenty eight point two six million from the start of free agency all the way to June second. That's not going to be feasible on their salary cap. You can't double down on Michael Thomas yet again. The guy never plays, and he's thirty years old. So what you're going to do is you're going to take his salary. You're going to bring it down to the the minimum. Let's call that one point one million. I don't know what the minimums are next year. You're going to get rid of his roster bonus. You get rid of his per game. Get rid of the workout bonus. Let's just call it a two million dollars salary. You will bring his salary cap number down from twenty eight point two million to thirteen point eight, and that's what they're going to have to do. That'll allow them to June one him, 
they'll carry his cap figure at 13.8 million, you know, or 13 million, somewhere in that range, basically picking up $15 million of cap space in the free agency period. Then they're going to June 1 him, and that'll drop to 11.8 million come June 2nd, which will give him an extra couple million dollars to spend on their rookie class. So they're going to have to do this in December. The only way that this is going to work is if you do this before this season ends. So if their season has spiraled out of control, they're going to have to look at their roster and they're basically going to have to say right now to where it's going to be very noticeable. Um, at least, no, it'll be noticeable everywhere. Um, you, you're basically going to come in and you're going to say, okay, Michael Thomas, we know in December that we have to cut Michael Thomas. And, yeah, I, I guess Pete would be the other one that would be the, the logical one to do. Because I don't think that they, they're going to do that with Cam Jordan. I don't think so. Uh, they could do Demario Davis. That probably wouldn't give him enough. Kamara. They might be able to do that with him. So it, it's going to be one of those players. That, and they're going to have to do it with two of them. So that's going to have to be a backbone of what they do. But it has to be done in December. Or early January. I, I forget when the regular season ends. That's going to have to get done. So I'm going to try to do a post this weekend to where we outline some of that stuff. But they're going to have to do it. Now, the only team that's done that before is Philadelphia. Uh, Philadelphia did it a couple of years ago with guys they were going to get rid of. Alshon Jeffrey and... Um, oh, I forget the other player. Uh, but they, they did it with two guys. And then they did something uh, this past year with Fletcher Cox. They did a video on it that a lot of people uh, seem to like. Where they gave themselves that optionality, but it wasn't a given. The other ones were givens. This is going to be a given. So they're going to have to follow that model. Now, in the past, if I was probably working with those players, I'd probably go more with the screw you deal. Or, you know, well, you you want him to do that. You can pay him to do it. But these agents know that for the most part, yes, you're... And this is not to say for any particular agent, just in general... You're going to look at this as, okay, I'm representing Michael Thomas. Michael Thomas's career is pretty much close to the end. Certainly his career as a big money receiver is close to the end. My career representing players who might negotiate a big contract with the Saints is not over. So I'm going to do good by them. They're going to do good by me in the future. And that's probably what ends up happening versus, I think, representing the individual player and maybe what might be his interests. Um, I, I think you, you end up doing stuff that's more in the interest of the team because it's more beneficial for you in the long term. So hopefully I'll have more on that this week. Uh, now we got the Jets. Um, hey, the Jets played a great game this week. And, you know, the, the last two weeks, they've played really good football um, defensively. And the Jets have basically morphed into something of um, kind of a mixture of the the Jets' 2009 and 2010 seasons. And uh, 
it, it it's it's fun to have a team that has some wins. Um, you know, they're right now they're getting great play out of the secondary. Gardner looks terrific. Reed's been really good. Gardner certainly by next year, I think you're going to get to the point where you can just play him man, and you can leave the other guys kind of playing zone. They, I think they even do that a little bit maybe now. Um, you know, to where you can really kind of stifle some of these passing games. I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing how they match up against Diggs when they they play in Buffalo or against Buffalo in a couple of weeks. I'm not sure where that game. I haven't looked to see where that game is at, but I think that's three games away. Um, that'll be interesting to see. The what they're generating up front. Something changed in the last couple of weeks. What they're generating up front is way better than what they would have generated up front in 2009, 2010. That was more blitz scheme oriented. This, you just have guys winning the battle. Now the Packers who, who looked inept, I mean, they, they just weren't picking up basic stuff, but they were also getting blown up by Quinn Williams, John Franklin Myers. Williams is playing really well. Um, he didn't do a lot early in the season, but after that dust up with the coach, you know, he's really been on fire. Um, now Salah did say he's got to, you know, maintain it. And I think he's right, you know, and I know some people are going to say, well, he's probably challenging his player and that might be part of it. Um, but yeah, I think he's right about it because we, we have seen that with Williams in the past, but this has been the best he's looked over a stretch of games ever. Um, you know, usually he disappears for games on end and then he'll, he'll flash here and there. Um, you know, he's been really solid, really good. Um, you know, and he, he's doing a lot of stuff there that really helps out. Offensively, it's 2009. It is the, the red light, green light kind of stuff. Um, you know, so, some people didn't like what I said. It, it wasn't a negative on the Jets. Look, you're, you're playing winning football. When you're playing winning football, you do what you can to win. Because in the NFL, yes, is the long-term all about the quarterback? It is. But you have seasons where the ball just bounces your way. Right now, the ball's just bouncing the Jets' way. You need to win football games. And they're not attempting to do anything with Zach Wilson. It is like, it is a shell of an offense with him. Um, you know, I, they're, they're afraid of the mistake. And what they've done is they've kind of crafted this identity of the, the ground and pound where the goal is to have these games that are low scoring and then just beat up on the teams in the fourth quarter and kind of run them off the field. And they're doing a good job of it. You know, the I'm going to tell you, he's not getting enough credit. The real big difference maker has been Dwayne Brown coming back. He's played terrific these last two weeks. You know, you, you watch him this week in the run game. You know, he's down the field, like, block, just mauling players. Like, you love to see it. Um, you know, it, it sets that left side. And then, luckily, they've got T uh, Vera Tucker, who moved to right tackle, which lets you, you know, going back to one of the original things with you said with AVT, you know, when you draft him, Guard is kind of plug and play. And it's just finding the right guy you can kind of plug in there, which right now, Herbig's playing pretty good. So it left them, it's 
not an upgraded guard by any stretch of the imagination. He's not as good as Elijah Vera Tucker. But your team is better because you were able to, he was versatile enough to be able to move to another position. And, you know, that offensive line, at least for the, these couple of weeks, has set up an identity. And on offense, you know, the, the Jets' offense is basically give Wilson a couple of passes that are basically screens to the tight ends, screens to the running backs, and a couple of quick slants going to Garrett Wilson. And every now and then we're going to give him a green light pretty much when we'll be somewhere beyond our own 30, probably own 40, to where Corey Davis is, if you see him one-on-one, if he shakes open, you can go deep. The other option would be, you know, if, if you're doing something and Hall can kind of, because he's the guy they're mainly using in the passing game, if he can sneak out on a wheel route and linebacker just doesn't notice him, you can throw deep there too. And then once the Jets get to the 20, uh, you know, the opposing 20, it's basically trick play time. I didn't get why they were running so many trick plays at the end of the game last week. It's like, Remember when there there was that gift from the Browns that let you steal a game? It wasn't going to happen here, but you were almost doing that by de- being so desperate to score and showing off every play that you had. Um, you know, but it, it's like Wilson right now. Yeah, is there going to be a time when he's going to have to throw? Absolutely. Um, but they're they're playing with him the way Chicago's playing with Justin Fields. One of the differences, though, is Chicago right now is a losing team. Chicago is going to have to get to a point where I think you just say, okay, screw it. We're past the point where the wins and losses this year mean something. we got to see what we've got with the kid by giving him more chances, more responsibilities. I think the Jets are only going to get into that situation if they have a game that um, you know, basically gets past 24 points they have to deal with. You know, that, that's a different story, um, you know, when you have to move the ball and do that. Uh, and, of course, though, you, you can't have great things all the time because you have their second-round pick from last year, Elijah Moore, now demanding a trade. And it's really too bad. Um, you know, I understand his frustration. You know, I, I get where he's coming from with the situation. On a bad team last year... He was kind of the hype of the team. Right, maybe hype's not the word, but you know, he, he was like he was the guy that you looked at. He played in just eleven games, had a little over five hundred yards, I believe. And he led the team. I had these numbers yesterday, but uh, I'm gonna say he led the team with like targets and um, uh, yards, maybe. Probably not receptions, but uh, probably those two categories. I think he led the team. And you look at where he's at this year. He's sixth in targets. Uh, you know, he watched them where, you know, he. I'm sure he went into this offseason thinking, maybe even being told, you know, you're our guy. You know, you're our future. And then they go in there and you, you draft a wide receiver very high. And it's very clear that that guy is the one that they, they envision as the future, not you. Um you know, you might be part of the future, you might be part of the team, but clearly they thought that you were not good enough to be a number one because they went out and they drafted someone that would be more likely in terms of where he was drafted to fit the number one profile than you would be. Uh, I understand that. I also understand the way that you see, 
how these things very quickly change. And in particular with the staff, you know, they, they, they bench Denzel Mims. You know, Denzel Mims has not been able to get on the field for basically two years. You know, he asked to be traded, basically said, look, you guys don't want me, so trade me so I can play football and they don't want to do it. And you don't want to be stuck in that situation. So I, I, I get that, you know, and decisions, decisions come very fast in today's league. You know, you're, you're labeled a bust very quickly. There is limited value for you when you're looking to get a contract in being a contributor to a winning team when you don't really have a role on that winning team. Uh, he's not targeted a lot this year. Um, Flacco targeted Wilson a lot. Really didn't look Moore's way that much. I know Moore had a lot of targets in one of the Flacco games, but they weren't anything meaningful. Um, Wilson came back, Zach Wilson, and you know, right out of the gate, it looked like he had reestablished a connection with Moore, and then that quickly just vanished. Um, Jets have him running all these out patterns, and they're they're not passes. They really want Wilson throwing. Uh, I I don't know. I'm not sure when this occurred. He's benched already. He's he's not playing with the team this week. Um, so that means this has got to be brewing for some time. That uh, this is not just related to him not having a target in this past game. This has clearly been brewing. I don't know if maybe Wilson coming back um, that he was he thought that he was going to get more looks. Maybe that's why they came out and fired his way early. And then when they went away from it, maybe thought it was right back to square one. And, you know, you, you get and you, you start feeling like empty promises. Th- this is where I think a team could use veteran leadership. You know, I mentioned the uh, the 2009 team. You know, Sanchez as a rookie was obviously terrible. Um, he was better the second year. Got lucky a lot. And they threw the ball more often. But that first year he was there, I think they had already had some receivers there who had gotten paid, so they didn't really care as much about it. They were just happy to be winning. Um, You had guys like Braylon Edwards who, in that system of money, had already gotten a pretty pretty good amount of money for being a, a highly drafted rookie. And again, I think was just happy to be coming from a um, a bad team to a good one. And, you know, I thought he was great when, when dealing with Sanchez. I, I remember one game I was at, I think it was the game against the Bills. I might be wrong, but I think it was the game where they ran for like 350 yards and somehow lost the game. You know, Sanchez threw like four interceptions. It was a windy, cold day. And uh, I remember Braylon Edwards. And Braylon Edwards didn't seem to have a good reputation coming out of uh, Cleveland. I loved that guy when he was a uh, Jet for those two seasons. Um, you know, I remember watching because Sanchez was distraught over the game. I think that was the one. Could have been a could have been a different one, but. Um, I just remember watching him, you know, put his arm around him as he came to the sidelines and give him some words of encouragement and whatever else. It was not in any way, shape, or form like, I need the damn ball so I can make money in the future. You know, even the year after that, um, in 2010, when he had a pretty good year and he ended up not getting a big contract um, for whatever reasons after the Jets let him go, um, let him walk. You know, he's a free agent. Um, 
never any moaning about it at all. And they had a lot of veterans on that team and a lot of guys who wanted to win. And I don't know if they have that right now. I'm not saying they don't have guys that want to win, just that they don't have the 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 guys that they need in that locker room to, you know, to be able to stand up and say something, um, keep things in check. You know, the the guy who probably is the closest to the to it, you know, in my mind would be Corey Davis, because Davis went through some rough patches with the Titans when he was young. He's still young, but you know, when he, he was early in his career. Um, obviously he looked like he was going to lose his spot to AJ Brown and, you know, he was able to bounce back in that fourth year, have a big enough year to get a pretty nice contract with the Jets. And, you know, he's obviously contributing, uh, to the team this year as their number one, number two kind of target and might even be on the team next year. But, you know, more, um, I, I, I get it, but. You know, it's just kind of disappointing, uh, you know, that you finally have a winning team and, you know, you, you just, you can't be happy um, because of it. Like, in this is something that should happen after the season or later in the season, you know, if things are still going bland, they, going bad for him. They, they should not be happening in week um, six or week seven. It's just too early for that to happen. Um, I think Sal is right by benching him. Uh, but, you know, you're going to have to read the pulse of the team, um, you know, after this. What, how do they feel? What are they What are they feeling um, about this? Did you misread the whole situation, um, you know, when it comes to it? And we're not going to know what he, what he says to everybody. But it, it is a situation that he's going to have to handle um, for the sake of the future of the team, whether that includes more or doesn't, I don't know. Um, you know, you're not going to trade him. The value is just not there. The Jets don't make those kind of trades. They they'll they'll just eat the player um, rather than trade him away. So I, I don't anticipate him going anywhere. But now you got to manage stuff, and you got to manage things to. Um, with the rest of the team, just to just to figure out where they're at, so it doesn't become an issue with anybody else down the line. Um, I think that's pretty much what you have to do. So, but hopefully the Jets will uh, keep up their winning ways. They should have a pretty good chance to win this week, so uh, that should be good. Um, you know, and the, the Jets are winning with running the ball, just like a couple teams are, and that's something I want to talk about a little bit here, even though I've been going on already for a pretty long time, and. That is the how bad the quarterback play has been this year. And, uh, you know, we, we see them trying to keep the quarterbacks healthy. And you've got, you know, Troy Vincent basically saying, which some people are upset about. Like, our job is to keep the quarterbacks upright. Yeah, of course it is. You know, when people want to complain about that, well, that's not maybe the integrity of the game. You need to get paid. The players need to get paid. The league needs to get paid. The league gets paid when you have good quarterbacks, the league is not going to get paid when you have a whole league of Andy Dalton's running around. And, you know, I'm I'm a little bit worried right now for the NFL because of what, what's gone on with these quarterbacks. You know, the, the league right now, um, 
where we're at popularity wise, where we're at in terms of um, visibility, the amount of money that um, networks are willing to pay for it. It's really two reasons. I mean, one is the fantasy football aspect and the gambling. You know, I'll call those two things together. Um, you know, I, I think that's, that's a big part of it. But, you know, a lot of the stuff where you talk about where the, the league was built on the, you know, the old players and all that stuff. Today's NFL was built off the backs, really, of the quarterbacks who came into the league, you know, early to mid-90s, probably more late-90s, and into the 2000s. That's what really built up this current game, uh, I think at least, the current level of popularity. You know, you, you can go back. The The quarterback play in the 90s, I, I think, was actually pretty lousy. Um, you know, I, I don't think it was great. And you, you had Young, you had Aikman, um, you know, you, you had the young Brett Favre, and then you had um, kind of the end of the career uh, runs of like the Marinos and the Elways and the Kellys. You almost felt like now part of that was the super team nature of those 49ers and Cowboys teams. Um, but it wasn't like there was, excuse me, a lot of like other stuff that was really, you know, going crazy out there. And you had a lot of years of bad drafts. And you kind of came into the 98 one. And, you know, 98, I mean, that's a year where you have Vinny Testaverde you know, leading, almost leading a team to the Super Bowl, you know, and you've got the crazy Falcons somehow getting to a Super Bowl. So, I mean, that that just shows you where things were then. But, you know, you've got Manning that comes in. And then the next year, you start to get, you know, even more stuff. Now, obviously, Ryan Leaf is a, a total bust, but you, you do get Peyton Manning out of that draft. Uh, I think that's the same draft as Matt Hasselback, maybe two. Um, you know, and he was a decent quarterback. Um, you know, but then you got Donovan McNabb in 99, Dante Culpepper in 99. Um, you know, th- those were two really good quarterbacks. Now, they didn't have long careers. I mean, McNabb had a decently long career. Culpepper did not. But these guys had some big things. Uh, you know, obviously, then you get Brady in 2000. So you're built on the back of Brady and you're built on the back of Manning. Uh, somewhere in there, you got the emergence of Kurt Warner. Um, Mark Bulger would have come in at some point there. I'm not sure when he came in. You would have had the Michael Vick Drew Brees draft, uh, where again Vick doesn't have that long career, but you know there's a lot of excitement that comes with him. Drew Brees ends up being, you know, Hall of Fame player who has a very, very, very long career. Um, you know, and then you get the 2004 draft which just really is a big hit. You know, now you you can you can talk about um, what the levels are for these players, but Eli Manning, Philip Rivers and Ben Roethlisberger all for a period of time were certainly above average quarterbacks. And you know, you you had a league that was basically Manning, Brady, Favre, McNabb, Culpepper, some of these guys are going to drop in and out, all right? You've got Manning, uh, Eli Manning, Roethlisberger, Rivers that are coming in. 
Um, you know, you, you've got then some other guys as well that pop in, you know, Aaron Rodgers. Now, he doesn't hit until later on in the decade, almost as a replacement for Favre, though they're, they're, they both kind of run for a little bit of time uh, concurrently there. And then you got Matt Ryan that comes in um, 2008, I think is the year that he comes in. And you have all these guys who are just having these really, really long careers, you know, playing for a long time. And that kind of hides the fact that the drafts really in since like 2010, 2011 have sucked. Now you, you look, here's the 2011 draft. Cam Newton, who was shot, you know, pretty early in his career. Jake Locker, Blaine Gabbert, Christian Ponder, Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick. I mean, th- this is lousy. 2012, um, you know, you had Andrew Luck. He walks away. RG3, who got hurt, was never the same. You know, Tannehill's okay. Tannehill is the equivalent of, um, I, he wouldn't even be the equivalent in my mind of an Eli Manning, maybe like a Jake, different style player, but like a Jake Cutler type. Um, you know, you had Russell Wilson, who again, it doesn't look like he's even going to have 10 effective years. Cousins, you know, decent, decent enough player. EJ Manuel, Geno Smith, Mike Lennon is the next draft. 2014, Bortles, Manziel, Bridgewater. Your best players from that are Derek Carr, Jimmy Garoppolo, but the, none of them, that none are high level players. Jameis Winston, Marcus Mariota, they're basically busts. 2016, Goff, Wentz, Paxton Lynch, Christian Hackenberg. Yeah, you got Dak out of that. He's okay. He's, he's more than okay, but I mean, he's not... Like, I, I don't think you look at him as like an elite player. You know, Mahomes is clearly an elite player. Who knows what you got with Watson. Josh Allen's an elite player. Baker Mayfield sucks. Sam Darnold sucks. Jackson's probably a little bit of a notch below, but he's uh, he's pretty high on there. Rosen is done. Uh, yeah, there's nothing else there. Kyler Murray's so-so. The other guys, no. Um, you know, from that year. Joe Burrow, we're still waiting to see. Tua, we're waiting to see. Herbert, you're still waiting to see. I like him, but, you know, you wait and see. Um, you know, on that. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields looks like a disaster. Um, you know, and then this year you really didn't have a lot. So what you've got are all these quarterbacks that had these long careers that were at elite or near elite levels that just gave a lot of teams chances to win, uh, especially when they were on rookie deals, I think. Um, you know, that, that maybe gave you the advantage to match up against the Brady or match up against the Rodgers, who was the you know, grizzled veteran, high-level quarterback. And it's like you, you do have Mahomes and Allen who can maybe recreate the Brady-Manning kind of magic, even though it's a little bit different. The, the Mahomes-Allen things are, are much more fun. Manning was more about Manning versus Belichick, especially early on. And it usually was them just choking the life out of Manning. Um but, you know, eventually it became more than that when Brady became much, much more uh, prolific as a passer. But, you know, at the same time, 
it wasn't like you would just pencil those guys in as like a Super Bowl winner because you did have Roethlisberger there. You know, for a time you had Rivers. Obviously, you had Breeze on the other side. You had Rodgers on the other side. You had Favre on the other side. You had guys that when you would look at them, you know, and Matt Ryan even, you, you would look at those players and you would say they're all capable of winning a Super Bowl. Um, you know, and I'm forgetting players. You know, Tony Romo, you know, he had a hell of a career. Um, you know, short, maybe a little bit shorter lived than you would have liked because of injuries. Um, but, you know, he had a terrific career. And I feel like you, you had in that era a number of quarterbacks that would profile as like kind of elite level guys. And then you had a number of guys that would kind of be above average, could be dangerous, especially if they get hot kind of guys. Then you had a couple of okay players, you know, your Jay Cutlers of the world and stuff like that. And then you had your your teams that just had a bad quarterbacks that weren't developing. But it, it's like some of these players being able to last as long as they have has hidden the fact that the NFL has just done an awful job of developing quarterbacks coming from the collegiate level. And now it's like you've got two elite players. If you want to throw Lamar Jackson in there, you can. He's a different kind of quarterback. Um, but maybe maybe you can put him in there. And then it's just like a bunch of guys. You know, now I, I know there's going to be people who are fans of Burrow and fans of this guy and fans of that guy. There's a bunch of guys. It, it's like you've got two, three elite players, a bunch of guys that are just fading away. And... Then you just got a bunch of guys who were okay. And it to me, it's much more reminiscent of the Aikman-Young kind of era where you're just waiting for something else to happen. And I think that's one of the reasons why this year you are seeing more success out of these you know, offenses like the Falcons, the Giants, the Jets, and maybe not their offenses, the game plans, where you are hitting them with something different. You know, they're, they're, teams are built nowadays to stop you from passing the ball, right? They're not going to be as built for stopping the run, so to speak. But when you've only got two or three quarterbacks that are really going to be able to, to push the level of play to where you force those teams out of a comfort zone, um... You know, you might be able to pull off like a crazy upset this year if you're one of those teams. I don't think any of these teams, <coughs> the Jets, the Giants, the Falcons, I don't think any of these teams have any kind of sustainable nature to what they're doing this year. You know, this is basically the equivalent of like the Jacksonville Jaguars a couple of years ago. You know, when they had that one team that had that freakish defensive year and they were able to put together enough offensively to be competitive. Um, you know, but obviously they, they, they weren't going to be able to get far enough because they were going to have to go through too many good quarterbacks. You're not going to have to go through that this year. You know, you, you're just not. Um, but I, I do think long term, it's a real problem for the NFL. Because... You you can only ride 
the Chiefs and the Bills for so long. You need those other players to be dangerous in there to throw in prime time. You know, no, you don't want to watch Justin Fields versus Daniel Jones in prime time. You know, they got to throw it in there because those are two big market teams. You know, so maybe maybe get prime time games out of that kind of stuff, but you know, nobody wants that. You know, do do you really want to see Marcus Mariota in the playoffs? No, no network wants to see that. You know, so I, I, the league has a real problem. I, I don't know how they're going to address it. I don't know how they're going to fix it. But they do need to find a way to get the quarterback, the level of quarterback way up. You know, you, you'd like to say some of the stuff is cyclical, but been on some bad cycles here. You know, maybe Watson. Watson hasn't played in so long. Um, you know, who knows what he's going to be when he comes back. But yeah, I, I think it's something that the the league needs to figure out. Like, how do we do it? How do you uh, how do you address this and um, you know make this make this work out a little better? All right, let's see if we've got any questions. I don't believe I had any emails. If I missed one last week because I didn't get to do the podcast, uh, sorry. Um, you can always resend it, but, uh, let's see, Zach, do you think fan, uh, I'm sorry. Do you think fans, do you think the Rams will make a trade? Uh, Burns, Jacobs, Chubb all seem like popular options. Um, anything's possible. They, they don't have a lot of draft picks left that they can, you know, trade away. Um, I think at some point the Rams have to be realistic. They spent a lot on their roster as it is, uh, probably too much on, um, some of the guys there, you know, the way I, I talked about Donald or whatever before. I, I think you, you have to go with um, just what you have because, look, they hit gold last year and they won the Super Bowl. So that's going to make up for any negatives that occur this year and maybe next. Um, if they had not won a Super Bowl, that's a different story. But they won the Super Bowl so I think at this point, you do have to be realistic about your chances. You don't have a good team right now. Um, stuff isn't clicking. Um, you know, the, the Stafford is playing more like what he normally plays like most of the time, um, which is not bad, but not like real good. Uh, you compromise yourself more in the future, I think, by doing that. And so... I think you have to look towards the future and just say, you know, hopefully, um, you know, we can get our act together and uh, do that. Uh, can you explain why Steelers left tackle Dan Moore is so high in your season-long uh, valuation? PFS has him so low and his tape is mediocre. Uh, value over APY just seems out of whack. PFF 45th, value over APY 5th. Um, all right, let me take a look at valuation there. Give me a second, and let's pull up 2022 and left tackles. So we have him ranked. I didn't even see him. Did I miss him? I must have missed him. I have him fifth. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, twelve, twelfth. Um, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't call that real high. Um, 
value over APY. That okay, so that's where. So that's fifth. Well, the reason is is because he makes no money. He makes a million bucks a year. So your your value, if you have a starting left tackle like, you know, thirteen million dollars would be kind of a so so play. Uh, you know, more than so-so, but, you know, decent enough play. Uh, I don't have all the numbers in front of me, but I'm going to guess the reasons why he would rank that high and, um, you know, probably has to do with playing time. Let's see. Uh, statistics. Yeah, so playing time is going to be a big deal. Um, you know, he basically doesn't miss a snap, so that that's a big bonus that he's going to have. Uh, I'm going to guess, and this is just a guess because I don't have it in front of me, uh, but I'm going to guess that he probably hasn't given up a lot of like pressures um, just because maybe the Steelers don't throw the ball that much or they don't throw it in ways where maybe the quarterback is going to get hammered. Uh, so it's more stuff that's designed to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand. That's just a guess on my part. Um, so his numbers are probably lower maybe because of that. Uh, but that, that would be part of it, um, you know, ha- has to do with his, you know, kind of negative production. Um, maybe that's there. And I think the other thing where you talk about those snaps, you know, you do have a lot of guys who've been injured this year. So, you know, if he's above like a, um, I'm just trying to see a player, like a Taylor Decker, just throw him in there. I think Decker's been hurt, right? Armstead has been hurt. Um, you know, Brown on the Jets has been hurt. Bakhtiari, hurt. So, yeah, Trent Williams, hurt. So, you, you've got all these other players whose values are down because they don't play. So, you know, playing is beneficial. Um, but I, I'd have to see where the grade is specifically from them, you know, to look at it. But I, I don't have those sheets in front of me, but... Uh, for offensive linemen, it's generally like negative production, you know, how much you should be giving up uh, versus what you do. And, um, you know, you have your playing time and then your PFF kind of grades that go in there. And there would be, I don't, I don't know what the grade is for his uh, run, but that, that is also part of it. Uh, I would guess his grade is probably low only because I think Pittsburgh's running game stinks. But, um, you know, that, that, those are the reasons that would probably be there. Okay, uh, let's take a look. Other set of questions. All right, let's start at the bottom here. Lord Rustin, what could the Jets get from Moore if they traded him after the season and right now? I don't think much anything. So, you know, you, you have to look at it this way. Right now, Moore was a second-round pick. His rookie year was okay. Um, it wasn't anything, certainly it's not anything that someone would look at and go, okay, we missed the boat by not taking more late in the first round or early, earlier than the Jets got him in the second. Um, so that would be one, uh, thing that would work against them. He's been benched that, uh, that works against him too. Uh, you know, I, I think based on the way this season has gone, I would guess if you traded him after the season, maybe you'd get a four. 
Um, you know, maybe if you got the right match, maybe a three. I, I don't think you're recovering a two. Um, but maybe a three or a four. But, you know, if he does play this year and he puts up, like, no numbers, he puts up, like, I don't know, uh, what's he on pace for right now? 500-yard season, maybe? Um, you know, if he puts that up, you know, that, that that's probably going to be looked at as, like, a fifth-round, you know, give up. You know, fourth round, maybe. So I, I, I don't think the value is very high. You know, I, I think... Um, I kind of think when we look at, um, you know, when you look at the players that you like on your team, you, you overvalue uh, what they're worth. You know, um, right now there, there's nothing for more that would make you say, yeah, all the other teams in the league are going to be lining up to, to trade for this guy. You know, there's nothing logical that would be there other than saying, well, you know, the Jets picked him and we liked him because of that. So I, I just I just don't think the value is remotely high enough for the Jets to do that. President-elect, can teams trade the player and assume the contract for the year to lessen the cap hit for the team acquiring the player to get more compensation? Um, yeah. So basically that's, that's what Carolina did. They just didn't do it at the time of the trade. So what you would do is, let, let's say the player has a $10 million salary. Um, just for the sake of argument, we'll do this at the beginning of the year uh, before any games are played. What you can do is that player has to earn at least the minimum amount of salary uh, for his experience level um, on the season. So this year, that's about, for a veteran, that's about a million bucks. So let's just call it a million. What you could do, if you were trading that player away, you could pay $9 million of the $10 million as a signing bonus, leave the $1 million as a P5, you absorb the $9 million, they only have to pay him the one, and then you would say, okay, well, you paid that $9 million, that would be worth an extra third-round draft pick. Um, that, that That's kind of the way that you would balance that all out. All the models have the Eagles' chances of landing the one seed very high. Given this information, how aggressive should Howie be at the trade deadline? Um, Chances are I'll never have another year with this high of a chance of securing the one seed again. This is from Dave. Uh, I don't know. You know, that, that that's a good question. Um, I don't know. I, I guess you have to look at it and say, what are the pieces that the Eagles would be missing that would be worth getting? Because I, I don't think it's worth giving away stuff for the future unless you know that you're bringing in something that's going to help you in some way, shape, or form. You know, the Rams last year were at a point where you knew they were in contention, just like the Eagles are right now. And it was like, okay, if we bring in more of a pass rush, that can help us. So I, I guess it would be that. Like, what, what do the Eagles need? Because I, I don't see the Eagles needing help to win the division right now. You look at the conference, the conference kind of stinks. So it, it's almost like, are you buying for one game if you think you're going to be in the Super Bowl? Or, um, you know, I, I don't know if that's worth it. You know, I, I don't know. I I think that if you look at the Eagles and you look at where they are, <sighs> With some of their cap stuff, 
I almost think it's important for them to have all these number one picks and not just look at it as house money and just being like, okay, well, we should just trade away whatever. Um, you know, given the lay of the land, I just don't know how much more of a chance they're going to have by trading for somebody. You know, maybe there's something they can do. Maybe maybe pass rush-wise, you do need something more. Um, but I don't know. I, I don't think I'd be that crazy aggressive. Chris, uh, what do you feel the fair market for Daniel Jones right now as a free agent? I think if Daniel Jones went to free agency, there would be very, very limited interest. Um, I, I just can't. Right now, I, I just can't picture him doing any better than someone like Trubisky did a couple of years ago. I mean, every now and then that there are random openings that'll be there, and um, you know, it's like there's no logic for Trubisky to have gone from like two million to ten million this year. You know, just that there happened to be an opening. Uh, but I don't know. I I would say um, no. Let's see. Uh, will Chevy Chase be on the podcast? No. Sadly, no. No Chevy Chase. Um, why do you think more and more teams are making investments in analytics and, more importantly, more many successful franchises, but the perception of them seemingly are becoming more negative publicly? Teams are making investments, I think, in large part to just say they're invested. You know, may, maybe something will, will pop out of it that they like and that they think they can use. But I think for the most part, the investments in analytics, with the exception of a couple teams like the Eagles or something like that, I think the investments in the analytics are more just to try to keep current with everybody else so somebody else doesn't just gain an edge and you're completely flat-footed. Um you know, when somebody else does something really good because I think the perception of them publicly is negative, but I think the perception of it in the buildings isn't great either. I think there is still a giant disconnect between the uh, analytics and the front office and staffs. I think it's almost more like a report that you get, that you put on the desk, you look at, shake your head at, and then put it in another pile after you, you glance at it. You know, a, a lot of the people um, that I've met through the years are, um, I, I, I'm i not going to say overly negative on analytics, but they're not positive either. And it's funny because sometimes they'll bring up examples of stuff they've done that they consider successful, which in reality is analytics. Um, but because it was not done by someone who would be considered a data scientist or someone who um, would come from any kind of like uh, different background, it, it's like it's it's acceptable um, because it didn't come from that. It came from somebody in a different field and you, you were tasking them with something that you didn't know about. Like, I, I think that's the bigger issue. Uh, when it comes to the front office. And really, I think even when you, when you have the, the commentators in football, many of whom played previously in the league, um, you know, or worked as executives, 
I think in their mind, I think a lot of it is, I know football. You're going to tell me you know football better than me? I don't think so. And I, I think that is a lot of the thought that goes into it. It's like, I know football and I know this is wrong. Or I know that it's, eh, not that great. But if you get into something else, like let's say you want to get into measuring psychological profile, you know, the, the questions that teams come up with to ask players at the combine and stuff like that. And let's say you talk to somebody who's like a psychologist to help you with that. That's not your field of expertise. So you're you're trying to get into a different area on a player like, okay, how are they going to handle adversity? How do I know how they're going to handle adversity? How do I know if there is something in this person's background that's going to hamper the way that they play football for me on Sunday, um, you know, 17 games a year? They don't know how to do that. So you go to somebody else and that somebody else comes up with a way to do it for you. And I think there's more trust in that because they're like, well, we don't know how to do it. But then when it comes to the analytics stuff, it's more like, well, yeah, I'll take a look at it and maybe something there is going to seem interesting. But maybe it's only interesting if it's like a confirmation bias, like it's something that you already believed. But otherwise, you're just going to be like, eh, probably not. I've, I've done this my whole life and I know better. So I, I think that's that's a thing. But I, I think teams just do it because everybody's doing it. And, you know, at an ownership level, I'm sure the owners are, oh, you guys got an analytics going? Yeah, yeah we got analytics going. And that's about the extent of it. Uh, was Tannehill's a good contract at the time, despite having the highest cap this year? Uh, Tannehill's contract was neither good nor bad. It was a okay contract when it was signed. Um I would say, I, I wouldn't even say that where the cap hit is now is that devastating. I think it's 38 or something like that. Um, while they have had to restructure it, um, I've never really looked at that one as like a like a glaring negative. But I, it wasn't really a positive either. It was just kind of there. Deion Jones got traded to the Browns and they redid his contract. They cut off the last year. Would the team be eligible for a comp pick? Uh, no, they would not. That, that rule has been changed. So they're, they're not eligible for a compensatory pick for him. Uh, I don't really know why they did it. Um, I, I, you know, I, you know why, actually? Uh, now that I'm thinking about it. Uh that probably relieved them of the responsibility of having any injury protection in the future for him. Uh, because remember, I mentioned that CBA mandated protection. Uh, that's only there on a multi-year contract, so maybe that was something. Uh, let's see, Ian. Um, how does Denver maximize their offense in future seasons with Russell Wilson? They have got to hope, beyond hope, that Wilson is really, really, really hurt right now. And that magically he's going to get healthy because they paid him so much money sight unseen. And right now he's awful. And um, if he continues to play like this, the the Broncos are going to have to bring in somebody to compete with Russell Wilson. That, that's how bad he's been. Um 
So I, I and they have no draft picks because they gave them all up for him. It's not like they're going to find a guy in the draft. You're just going to have to find a miracle in the draft. So, you know, I, I think that one is uh, that one is really going to be tough for him. They 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 have to hope these injuries or something that he can get over. Uh, what is the disconnect with NFL front offices and overspending on running backs? For us casual fans, it seems that the evidence is obvious that it's not a good allocation of resources. Um, you know, I, I think it has to do with the same kind of stuff. You know, you, you get you get sidetracked because you 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 have limitations on your offense sometimes at other positions. You know, one of one of the reasons why the running backs sometimes stand out is because you're limited elsewhere on the team. And you you look at that production that you do get, and it's almost like, you know, without that production, where would we be? It's like, you'd still be the same losing team, but maybe you would be that same losing team that doesn't get a big run every week, um, you know, to, to get people excited. You wouldn't have that fallback of, like when the writer is going to write the article on the blog or in the newspaper, um, you know, talking about the game and they're going to talk about how, well, you know, things were close and they just couldn't get the ball in McCaffrey's hands one last time to, you know, try to mount that comeback. And then they fell down by 10 and they just couldn't get back into it. So I, I think that's that's a big thing, uh, you know, and the, the fans go really crazy at the position because of the fantasy football there is a business aspect to all this. You know, Christian McCaffrey is an incredibly popular player in Carolina. You know, Derrick Henry is a crazy popular player in Tennessee. Marshawn Lynch was a crazy popular player in Seattle. You know, all these players, Zeke and Dallas, um, you know, they're, they're popular players. And again, you don't want to deal. The front offices don't have a stomach anymore for dealing with that kind of negativity that comes over these contract extensions. So rather than dealing with it, they just buy into it and go with it. Um, you know, and I, I do believe that they, they all go with the opinion of, well, it's not going to happen to my guy. Like I've watched him train. I know he's not going to get hurt. I know he does everything right and he's not going to fall apart. And then they all fall apart. Uh, JC, full value breakdown of the CMC trade, including opportunity costs for rookie wages for the four. Um, you know, I, I'll just throw them. So I, I mentioned those numbers before. You're giving up about $15 million in value. Um On the picks themselves, you know, that that's basically what you'd be looking at. Um, you know, whether they, they one of them hits as a home run, um, you know, I don't know. Uh, in terms of the actual salary cap cost, I mean, San Francisco would save, you know, a mid-second round pick. Um, you'd be saving about two million bucks a year third round pick you'd be saving about uh one and a half a year it looks like maybe a little bit more than that um fourth round pick 
Fourth round pick, you're saving about 1.2 a year. And a fifth round pick, you're saving about a million a year. So whatever that all adds up to, I wasn't paying enough attention <laughs> there. Uh, two, three, four, five, you know, probably like five, six million a year you're saving uh, if you're San Francisco that you can spend, you know, on um, other players. A uh, question about rebuilding. Uh, it's been analyzed empirically. How much does subsequent years' cap space and draft value impact probability of reaching and winning a Super Bowl in subsequent years? Um, I'd have to I'd have to look at that uh, a little bit more. I can tell you the teams that just carve up their rosters to gain a ton of cap room. Uh, there would be limited correlation on that. Um, the, the teams that have ridiculous amounts of dead money, which usually means the next year or the year thereafter, they're going to have, you know, a, a complete salary cap reset. Typically, those, those teams are not, um, you know, going very far. Uh, you know, when you, you look at teams that were the massive spenders in free agency, usually they're not going um very far. I'd have to look a little bit more at the teams that get um, the big draft haul, um, you know, to see where that that ranks in that regard um, with it. I would guess not crazy high. It's probably, you know, kind of fluky, um, you know, when it comes to it. It's about how you allocate those resources, I think, more than just having unlimited resources. Like if you happen to have a bunch of you know first round draft picks, but it's a year where there's no quarterbacks available, in the grand scheme of things, your team isn't going to get that that much better. You know if, if you're already working with a, a substandard quarterback, um, you know. But uh, I, I'd have to see. But I, I do know teams that just intentionally gut the roster uh, typically have a hard time coming back. So. Uh, it does take a while with that. Uh, how much do you honestly think the COVID year messed with the Saints team building strategy? How long do you think they'll be bad as a Jets fan? How does it feel to see the makings of a future uh, bottom dweller team? Um, this is from Derek. Uh, I think the COVID year clearly messed with the Saints. Um, you know, that, that forced them. Now, it, it forced everybody, but the Saints more than more than others. You know, it, it forced them down by, uh, let's see, we maxed the 2082, we dropped to, what was it, 178? No, 182.5 off the cap. You know, I, I think you'd probably be about 30 to 40 million down from where you should have been. So obviously that, that forced them into doing even more stuff, um, than they wanted to. But, you know, the, the the stuff that screwed them over isn't so much COVID. You know, it's like franchise tagging your safety, uh, refusing to let the guard walk, refusing to let certain players walk in free agency, um, you know, signing a player like a Marcus May, treating this year like you were still a contending team even though you know your quarterbacks are Jameis Winston and Andy Dalton and Taysom Hill and I know we don't call Taysom Hill a quarterback anymore but um you know doing that you know knowing your coach walked away like there's a reason he walked away 
right? Because things were going bad. Um, so how long they'll be bad is all going to depend on draft. But obviously they're, they're in a pinch this year because they look like they're going to get a high pick and they're not going to have that pick because of a stupid trade they made. So I would think you're probably looking at um, realistic terms. I would think you're probably looking at at least 2025. So, you know, the way that I would look at it is you're not going to find a quarterback in 23, 24. Maybe you find one, and that's the year that he's going to have to learn to play football. And then 25 would be the year that, you know, maybe things turn around. Um, how does it feel to see the makings of a bottom-dweller team? That That's a that's an interesting one. Um, you know, the, the Jets have just been a bottom-dweller. I, I don't know if there was a point. Like, the Saints, the Saints have been on this path to get here, barring miracles, meaning, like, draft miracles that would have salvaged the situation. Like, they've been on this path for some time. So it's almost like the last two to three years have been like this slow burn. And now you've just completely ripped the Band-Aid off as you're sitting there at two and five. And now you're just realizing how bleak your future is. You know, the the, the Falcons are probably a closer approximation um, than the Jets. The Jets have just been bad. You know, the, the Jets, um, the closest the Jets would have been to this would have been like 2002. 11 2012 where they, they started to kind of um push more money so they could keep the guys on the team and kind of go from there but idzik came in in 2013 it was just like i'm just cutting everybody and we're going to start over and you know that that was probably the closest since then it's just been they've just been bad like, it hasn't been you've looked at it and you're like, okay, we're successful, but it's just they've just been bad. So <laughs> you want to look at a team that's been successful and then, you know, see where things start to go wrong. So I think the Falcons are probably a much better um, team to look at. But, yeah, COVID hurt them. You know, they, they would be, if not for COVID, everybody would be in a better salary cap position. But the Saints, instead of next year looking like $50 million over, probably be looking at 20 million dollars over so I, I think that's that but they have refused to make any kind of meaningful hard decisions to embrace um you know rebuilding this football team just flat out refused brian uh, do you have any ideas for what trades the jets can should make prior to the deadline few avenues they could explore not necessarily rated to the headaches from this week uh i wouldn't make any trades if i was the jets um, happy with the defense. I, I wouldn't make changes there. Um, you don't need another receiver. I mean, if you if you want to see if you can pick up another like reserve offensive lineman, um, you know maybe that's something that you could look at. Uh, but otherwise, I I, w- I wouldn't waste time bringing players in. You know, you you're not going to change the quarterback. So, you know, you're just going to keep your fingers crossed that he develops. If Wilson somehow develops during the course of the year, I think they have enough talent at wide receiver where he can get something there. Um, You know, if he continues to have bad pocket presence and 
um, you know, throws the ball poorly. We haven't seen him throw enough to say that. But, you know, let's just assume that happens. No trade is going to help you. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't make any trades if I was New York. Uh, last question, Colin. Uh, if rookie contracts were shorter, would the net effect be more players with more money and power? Thing of labor ne- negotiations, leverage play rights. Yeah. Um, so this is something I've called for and I thought should have been demanded in the last CBA that rookie contracts should have been brought down to at least three years, uh, no more than three years. Um, I think if rookie contracts were shorter, uh, I do think there would be more money in the hands of the players. I think that's a definite. But I think at the same time, teams would not get leveraged maybe into some of these bad deals like the McCaffrey one because the the cycle would be so much shorter. I think players, number one, would not be afraid or as afraid of the franchise tag. There's a big difference if you have a three-year rookie contract and you, you get you go tag tag and you get free agent in year six versus right now if you're a first round pick, you got five years under contract, tag tag is six seven, and you're gonna have a lot of teams looking at you in year eight, you know, unless you're like a a tackle or a uh, quarterback, they're gonna look at you as damaged goods. They're gonna look at you as like, yeah, you know, your your career is is going on the wrong path. So I think the the three-year contract would shift the balance of power, but I do think that it would prevent teams from also making stupid decisions that uh, impact them too much in the future. All right, so that should do it for me. So let's, uh, hopefully the Jets will get another win, Um, you know, and uh, hopefully I'll be able to come back next week and do another podcast uh, at some point. Maybe Friday night again. We'll see. Uh, Nelly, you have anything before we go? No, you're just going to eat a little bit before bed. So Nelly's about to uh, pass out, I think, for the night, and I am probably going to do the same. Everybody have a great week. Thank you very much for listening, and I'll talk to you all again soon.